Good morning. It is still morning. What an awesome time in God's presence. Wonderful time of worship. You know, as we gather on Sundays, our goal is worship, which is our focus is on Jesus and the presence of God, and then the Word. And our goal is on equipping uh, so that we are actually better equipped to partner with Him. Let's pray. Lord, we realize that we need you in everything. Holy Spirit, you lead us in worship. You bring us revelation. You show us. Uh, You lead us as we follow you. And so we open our hearts to you today and ask that you would just bring what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. I started a uh, series last week, and we started with Luke Nine, verse 1, and then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And verse 6, and they departed and went throughout the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Made a point last week that there's a three-part action that's tied together, the preaching of the gospel, healing, and deliverance. And Jesus dealt with that. And so we have to be careful that we don't separate those or we end up with problems. And so uh, my goal in this series is to see a more effective demonstration of the kingdom authority and power and to see us more equipped to partner with God as he pours out his spirit We've been praying for an outpouring of the Spirit across the, uh, the city, the state, the nation. And he does that through us. And so we get to be a part of that. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. And verse 43. I'm going to read 43 to 45. For those of you who take notes, this... Uh, story is also recorded in Luke 11, 24. But uh, starting in Matthew 43, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeks, seeking rest and finds none. And he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. And he goes and, make, and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. Now the context of this is that Jesus is talking uh, primarily to the Pharisees. And uh, who were rejecting the kingdom of God and rejecting Jesus as king. So it's focused primarily on them, but it applies everywhere where kingdom authority is manifest. And so I want to say this. The kingdom of God is about authority. The very word kingdom means rulership or authority. We think of kingdoms as geographical locations. It's not, the kingdom of God is not a place. It comes within people who are submitted to his rule. So we are submitted to his rule when we come to Jesus. And so his kingdom can be manifest here. 
but his kingdom isn't manifest in the city we live in unless people are submitted to his rule. You still with me? So I want to talk to you briefly, introduction about kingdom authority. So turn with me to uh, Genesis, way back to Genesis chapter 1. The very beginning God creates and in the midst of that he makes the pinnacle of his creation which is man and he Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I've said this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. But basically what we see is that God made us in his image for relationship and then gave mankind dominion or rulership. So we were made for both relationship and rulership. They go together. The thing is that man in relationship with God was given dominion or authority on the earth. And we need to understand that that authority was delegated. It wasn't inherent in us. It was delegated. It came from God. And it was tied to relationship. So the bottom line is this. When God made us, he basically said that we must submit to his authority in order to partner with him and have authority. It's tied into relationship. You still with me? And then God does something that has fooled many of us, not fooled us, but confused us, in that he set a boundary around one of the trees just to demonstrate that submission to his authority. Chapter 2, verse 16, And the Lord commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad you shall not eat, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Basically, what happens is that God says, all this is for you except for this one tree. I personally don't think there was anything really special about that tree, and I'll tell you why later. I think God just put a boundary and picked a tree and said, you can eat of all of them except this one. Why? Because by submitting to him, we are recognizing his authority. Obviously, you know what happened is that man rebelled, chapter 3. And it really was a rebellion against God's authority. Verse 1 of chapter 3, And the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the Fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God didn't actually say you can't touch it. Now, we don't know if she added that or if Adam added that, because when God spoke to Adam about it, she, she didn't exist yet. So she got the directions from Adam. I, I, I kind of tend to think it was Adam, only because it sounds like something a man would say. God said, don't eat of this, and don't even touch it. 
How many of us say that to our kids? And the servant said to the woman, you shall not surely die. You will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and bad. Interesting. They were already like God. We just read Genesis chapter 1 that they were made in the image of God. So they were already like God. Let me read the rest of it and I'll come back to that. Woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. God never said it would make anyone wise. Did he? She says at the end, in verse 14, 13, the serpent deceived me. The serpent said it would make you wise. God never did. She she took of the fruit and ate and gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. I don't want to get sidetracked there about where her husband was. I, I said this before. I grew up in a church, and I always had this idea that she ate, and he was somewhere else in the garden, and she took this fruit and found him and said, oh, try this one, as if he didn't know. But it actually says he was there. Now, God had spoken to Adam not to eat. It says later on that the woman was deceived, but Adam was never deceived. He was standing there watching, knew exactly what was happening, and did not intervene. Oh, bad news, guys. And it goes on, and obviously they ate, and they hid themselves, and... Uh, when God called, where are you? And uh, he said, I hid myself because uh, I was naked. And God says, who told you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Man says, it was the woman's fault. <laughs> she gave it to me and, I, uh, and she gave me of the tree and I ate. He finally admitted, what did God say? Don't eat of this tree. And eventually it gets to the point where he says, and I ate. There comes a point where we can't hide our rebellion. And then the woman says, the devil deceived me, but I ate. Let me say this. When the devil says you'll be like God, and they were made in his image, the only difference between them and God is that they were submitted to a higher authority, and God wasn't. So what was the temptation? It was actually rebellion. It was crossing the boundary that God had made. It was saying, I won't submit. I'm going to do my own thing. So by eating of the tree, they crossed the boundary and rebelled against God's authority. Isaiah 53, verse 5, talking about Jesus says, it does, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our inequities. That word transgressions from the Hebrew literally means rebellion. And it comes from a root that says that crossing the boundary. He was crushed for our rebellion. You're still with me? 
what I want you to get is this. The root of sin is rebellion. We have this nice illustration of a tree. Where's my tree? Oh, thank you, Priyanka. Priyanka's learning to do this. She does a great job, but the last few weeks, I've had dozens of scriptures that she has to enter. So we're breaking her in the, the hard way. The root is rebellion. I won't submit to God. That leads to selfishness. If I'm not going to submit to God, I'm not going to submit to you. Right? And the fruit of that is all the sins. Somehow the Catholic Church started categorizing sins and said, which ones are the worst? Is, is murder more of a sin than lying? Or stealing? How about adultery? Let me tell you, you can repent of the fruit of lying, but if you haven't repented from rebellion, you're just going to have more fruit. God's not about trying to make better behaved people. He's about restoring us to relationship, and what broke that relationship was rebellion against his authority. So, the result of sin or rebellion is that relationship with God was lost. And the rulership that he gave man was usurped or stolen by the devil. The devil is now called the ruler of this world. God gave dominion to mankind, but Jesus twice in John 12 and 14, it says the devil's the ruler of this world. How do you become the ruler? By man giving, losing that and giving it up. All that's background to tell you this. When Jesus comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom, it's a declaration that the original relationship and rulership that God intended is being restored. It was lost with rebellion as being restored. So there's a conflict, and the conflict of the kingdom with the kingdom of darkness is a conflict of authority. You need to understand that. That's the beginning of understanding kingdom authority. Jesus said, I give you power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Jump back with me to Matthew. I want you to see something. See, something was different this time around. With Jesus, something was different. Authority was, wasn't given to mankind in general, as in creation, but was given to one man. Jesus, Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, 
even to the end of the age. I think the key expression in those scriptures is the very end. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Lord, I'm with you always. Let me give you a couple other scriptures. This is actually a reference to Daniel chapter 7. It talks about the kingdom. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Daniel in this vision said, I watch it in the, in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming from the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near uh, before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one that shall not be destroyed. So when Jesus comes saying, all authority has been given to me, he's referencing that, and he's saying that applies to him. He is the Messiah. He is the restorer of what God originally intended. Ephesians chapter 1. The uh, overhead people are much quicker at this than I am. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 20. It's talking about exceeding greatness of his power. Verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And he put all under all things under his feet and gave him head of all things to the church. One more, 1 Peter 3.22. Talking about Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Okay, have given you three scriptures, there's plenty in the Bible that's basically saying Jesus has the authority. Okay, now let me just throw a couple other scriptures at you, and then I'll make some comments. Uh, John 15. I'm just going to read these because Frank is much quicker than I am. Uh, John 15, sorry, and verse, uh, verse 1 and then verse 7. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You know the story. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. We connect to him. He actually goes on and says, we, have, we bear no fruit of ourselves. We only bear fruit as we're connected with him. Uh, Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, what does that actually say? Does it say, be strong because you have strength? Be strong in the power of his might, in him. Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Colossians, Ephesians, Colossians talks about in Christ, with Christ, by Christ, through Christ. Back to Luke 10 and verse 19. 
After reading all those scriptures, I looked at this again and I saw it a bit differently. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Let's start with, yeah. Over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I've always read that. Behold, I give you the authority. Now I actually think it says, behold, I give you authority. In me, you have authority. Because he's, nowhere else in the Bible does it say he's given away the authority that was given to him. He has all authority. He still does. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Principalities and powers are under his feet. I don't have a little bit of his authority. He didn't give me a, a, a little uh, shot glass full. No, but in him, in him, in relationship with him, back to the original, in submission to him, we have authority. So the key to understanding kingdom authority is this, is to understand that Jesus has all kingdom authority. The second part is to recognize that we function in his authority and power, not our own. You still with me? Now let me say it this way. I'm going to put all this together. Unless we repent of rebellion and submit to his lordship, his rule, his authority, we have none. Unless we repent of our rebellion, the root of sin which separates us from God, and submit to his lordship, to his rule, to his authority, we have none. Look at Acts chapter 19. I'm actually quite happy. I just get serious when I get intense. Or intense when I get serious. Acts 19, verse 11. Uh, we're going to start there. This is God working uh, in Ephesus, doing amazing things. Verse 11. And God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them doesn't mean that he pulled out his handkerchief and blessed it. Those words actually mean he was actually working there. The apron was what he wore in tent making, and the handkerchief was, they say it was a, like a, a sweatband, a sweat rag. There was something of God moving in such power that people were actually stealing his work clothes. That's what it was, and putting them on people. It wasn't, okay, well, here's, here's a new strategy. I'll pull out my handkerchief. I'm going to bless this. And you take the handkerchief. There was something of the presence of God. But then it goes on and says this. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, by saying they're Jewish exorcists, it's saying that they're not submitted to Jesus. 
They're not Christian exorcists. We exorcise you by the name which Paul, uh, Jesus, which Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them. So that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And it became known, both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. What is this saying? I believe there's a couple things. I think demons can tell when someone is submitted to the lordship of Jesus. It's not how much authority do I have. It's I'm connected to the one who has all authority. His authority isn't in objects or phrases. It's not putting a Bible on someone who's demonized. Tony was telling me about a expression, uh, experience he had praying for someone and somebody wanted to just put a Bible on them as if the Bible had authority. Some of us, if you've seen any movies about that, you know, holding up the cross, you know, like, like there's something in this or sprinkling holy water. Let me tell you, there is no authority in any of those things. There's authority in Jesus. There's not authority in a phrase. In the name of Jesus. I've told you this. I want to tell you again because one of my favorite stories. A friend of mine years ago when I lived in California, a guy named Jojo Sanchez, really evangelist and, and had an incredible heart for uh, a certain, certain area. Yeah, that, that was his name. Uh, and... God actually spoke to him about doing a crusade and he rented a uh, high school uh, stadium and planned this crusade and, and he felt like God said to him, look, I'm going to demonstrate my power and people will be healed. And so they get there and they get ready and this, uh, he has this altar call at the end and this gang guy pushes uh, his, well, probably his grandmother, the old lady in a wheelchair up and she's blind and she can't can't move, and the gang guy is just, obviously doesn't believe in this. He's got his colors and everything, and he's, and Jojo goes, and he begins to pray and declares, in the name of Jesus, you will see. And nothing happened. And so he got more aggressive. In, in the name of Jesus! And nothing happened. And he walked over to the back of the stage in the corner, and he knelt down and said, God, you said you were going to heal. He said, he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to him very clear. said, yes, I will, but what are you doing? <laughs> See, subtly, Jojo thought it was the phrase. And if he yelled it louder, it would have more authority. And he's in the back of the stage, on his knees, begins to cry. Says, Lord, I'm so sorry. Only you get glory. And he heard the scream, and everyone's yelling. And he turns around, 
the lady's out of the wheelchair yelling, I can see, I can see. And the gang guy who was arrogant and, and aggressive is on his knees weeping, repenting. Why is it important? We can't separate deliverance from the gospel of the kingdom. People who are delivered but not submitted to Jesus end up worse off. That's what Matthew 12 says. They end up worse off. So that's why the gospel of the kingdom has got to be coupled with healing and deliverance. Not the gospel of deliverance. Not the gospel of healing. The gospel of the kingdom, the submission to the lordship of Jesus. What does that mean for us? For us in application, but also for us in equipping and helping others. It means a couple of things, but it begins with us. It begins with this. I can make the right choices. I shared last week about spirit or an attitude or something of a habit pattern in our thinking, a neural superhighway that develops in our thinking. And I want to tell you, you can choose to take the off-ramp. You have that authority. I can choose. When I start going down that path in my thinking, I can choose to say, no, I won't. I renounce that. And I choose to believe God's truth. I choose to set my mind on what is good, not what is negative, not my experience, not my hurt. I can choose God's truth. Now, what that means is this. Circumstances, situations, and other people cannot make my choices for me. Now let me say that again. Circumstances. Let me say it louder. <laughs> my wife is teasing me in the front row. Circumstances, situations, and other people can't make my choices for me. When I was growing up, I had a bad temper. It's hard to believe, I know. <laughs> Look at this smiling face. <laughs> Cherub. And uh, I realized after I accepted Jesus that it wasn't honoring to God, but I still had it. And I began to pray, and I would get in fights and... Uh, Quite often on the basketball court, I play basketball at university, and I'd get in fights. And uh, as I was praying about this, 
I happened to read in Ephesians, which talks about anger. And I just had this revelation that nobody can make me angry. I choose to get angry. So all of a sudden, I had a revelation that I have a choice. Before that, I had given my choices away. If you did something I didn't like, I, that would trigger me, and I would be angry, and I would, I would go after you. It's hard to blame, I know. <laughs> Jesus changes us and delivers us. Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to understand that we have authority to make choices. Tim started us off with talking about walking through the valley of the shadow of death and not pitching a tent there. We have a choice to not allow our circumstances to control us because of Jesus, not because of our own self-will. Took me a while to get over that, but my, I haven't had any manifestations of temper for years and years, uh, which is why you didn't realize I had a bad... I, have a bad temper that's still hiding in there. Uh, it, it took something of God changing that super neuro superhighway. I had a highway that basically said, if you did something I didn't like, my response was anger, and I, I was out of control. And I was. I didn't even try and control it. I won't tell you all the bad things that I did because of that. <laughs> Talk to Mary. See, not only can we make choices, but here's the real key. We can close the door that was opened to allow the enemy access in our life. When someone is delivered, if there actually is a demonic spirit and they're delivered, they want, the spirit wanders through dry places, looking for rest, doesn't find any, comes back and finds the, the place where they left, swept and set in order, and they bring seven more, and it becomes worse. Deliverance by itself, without the gospel of the kingdom, makes things worse, not better. Because the demons come back and they say, oh, look, it's prepared for us. So we have to declare the gospel. But prayer, when we've opened a door to something, maybe it's not a demonic, actual demonic spirit, but it's a spirit, as we talked about last week. Those of you who weren't here last week, sorry, you have to listen to the tape. We can have an attitude that affects how, we can have a spirit of fear. We have an expectation of something negative happening, even though it's not actually a demonic thing uh, affecting us. And so we can have that. But the thing is, you can have prayer, and God can touch you, but if you've opened a door to that spirit of fear, if you're watching horror films, and you end up with a spirit of fear, and you come and you get prayed for and God touches you and you go back and you watch more horror films, you're an idiot. 
Let me say that louder. <laughs> what happens? Because there's a, often a door that we've opened. And we have an authority in Christ, not only to get free, but to close the door. If you've been involved in the occult and you become demonized as a result of that, you can come and people can pray for you and you can get delivered. But if you continue to be involved in the the occult, you'll be worse off. Some of you are shaking your head. Some of you are going... If you've struggled with pornography and you've asked someone to pray with you, God can set you free. But if you go back and continue to watch pornography, you're dumb. You not only have the authority to be set free, you have the authority to close the door. So what does that mean? It means sometimes in praying for people, We need to find out what doors they've opened and help them understand. See, this Bible says something about the anointing that breaks the yoke, sets us free. But there is the truth, Jesus said, that sets us free. So what is it? It's both. It's the power of God, but it's the truth that closes the door and protects us from repeating the same error. Say that again. again. Which part? (laughs) There's an anointing, the power and the presence of God that sets us free, but there's also the truth that sets us free, that gives us an understanding so that we close the door and don't invite that presence back again. If you've been involved in some occultish activity and you end up demonized, we'll pray for you. God will set you free. But if you go back to that, it's what the New Testament talks about a dog returning to its vomit. That's what it says. It's gross, huh? Huh? Love the Bible. It's very, very clear, isn't it? Why am I saying this? Because there's something of us not only getting free ourselves, but helping others. And as there is an outpouring of the Spirit of God, He's going to need all of us. Tim shared that at the uh, prayer meeting at the beginning of this month. And I quoted it in saying that we're not ready for revival because when revival takes place and thousands and tens of thousands get saved, every one of us is going to be needed to help set people free. So we have the authority to make choices. We have the authority to close the door. We also have authority to help others, to partner with Jesus In him, we have authority. Now go back with me to Luke 10. And let me finish with that. 
We're going to start in verse 17 this time. He says, Jesus had sent out the 70 and sent them to go preach the, the gospel of the kingdom and heal the sick. Uh, he had given them authority in verse 17. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. Without that, you have no authority. That's why Jesus says that's more important. It's not that I have authority over demons, but in him, his authority is released. Now think about that for a second. You need to to let the word of God wipe off all the negative stuff that you've heard about deliverance. We have all kinds of fears because we think, oh, what if I don't have enough authority? What if the, the spirits jump on me? Like the sons of Sceva. What happens if, or this or that? If you're connected to Jesus, his authority comes into play. He's setting people free. There's a wonderful story in the Bible. I don't have time to, to go to it. I might get to it next week, but Jesus, it's, you know, where Jesus walks on the water. I, I'm sorry, where they're, they're in the boat and there's a storm. Jesus tells the disciples, we're going to go across the, the ocean. There's a storm. Jesus is asleep. They're all afraid. And uh, they're going across the, the ocean. And then, I mean, this is kind of an aside. That's not the point. They go across that the sea, and he encounters a guy who's demonized and sets him free. One, one account said the people were afraid of him. Bottom line is that Jesus then got back in the boat and went back. They spent all night rowing in a storm to go across the sea. Jesus set free one person and then he went back. And the story picks up right where he left the day before. God's mercy. His love. I just love that we were singing that today. All these guys, Jesus and 12 disciples, spent all night rowing in a storm. They thought they were going to die so that one person could be set free. Don't know what that, who that one person impacted. But then they just come back. Think about that. The love of God. How God wants to use us. Declaring the gospel. Healing and deliverance. Let me ask you. If you're here this morning, have you repented from rebellion and submitted to Jesus' lordship and authority? Or has your repentance been focused on some action? I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I got caught. 
doing that. Too often, we're not actually sorry we did it, we're just sorry we got caught. But the gospel of the kingdom is that we repent from rebellion. All have rebelled and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why baptism is such a key part because baptism, we're dying to ourselves. We're dying to our own authority. We're acknowledging by submitting to baptism that we're dying, that we're submitting to the king. We're coming back into that original relationship where we acknowledge his authority and therefore we can partner with him to demonstrate his authority and power to the world. God's looking to see a kingdom of people, of priests, us, every one of us, flowing in his authority and power, declaring the gospel of the kingdom so that revival comes to the world around us. Bow your head for a moment, would you? If you haven't repented of rebellion, I'm going to just invite you to do that. Because that's what separates us from God. Doing my own thing. I want to decide what's good and bad for me. If you have, there's no condemnation. But if you haven't, that's where restoration of relationship begins. And then, just because I mentioned it earlier, if there's anyone here, if you've got a spirit of anger, a temper, and you've not been able to get authority over that, I believe God wants to set you free. I'm a testimony of his wonderful authority when we align ourselves with him, with his spirit, and with his word. And he wants to set you free. If you were prayed for last week, spirit of fear, absolutely wonderful. I heard some great testimonies this week of God touching people. But let me encourage you. Make sure the door's closed. Don't go back to what? Now, understand me, not everything of a door open is our choice. Sometimes we are the victim of someone else's choices, whether it's abuse or something else. And so we can't close that door from the standpoint of their choices, but we can take authority over it and we can extend forgiveness. We cannot allow unforgiveness or bitterness to keep that door open. But if it's something of our actions, let me just encourage you. Just make sure that you close the door. Take authority over that. Lord, thank you. We stand amazed at your love. 
how you want us free, every one of us, completely free. Lord, we want to walk in that freedom, but we're not satisfied with just that. We want to be partnering with you to see other people come to freedom. We want to be those with boldness to declare the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom with signs and wonders, healing and deliverance following. That's your intent. And so we say, Lord, that's our desire, to be like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I figured out last week that the uh, ministry time, I had people come forward and teams to pray for them, but I, I asked the uh, worship team to come up at the same time. And uh, the problem is that the people praying are standing directly in front of the speakers, and that there was no ministry that could take place until the band quit playing. And so I've swung the pins to the other street. No, no band, nobody come up to pray. <laughs> but let me encourage you, if you would like someone to pray with you, there'd be some people who'd love to, to do that afterwards who would come and pray with you if you need deliverance. If, if you would like to meet Jesus, we'd love to introduce you if you haven't met him. For all the rest of us, we're one step closer. I, as I said, it's hard to eat an elephant. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? We're taking little bite-sized pieces of this whole arena. And so uh, let's just trust the Holy Spirit. We have coffee and tea. We can connect, but connect with someone. Take some time. You don't have to do it out there. You can do it here. But if you'd like prayer, if you just come to the front, there'd be some people who'd love to pray for you. And please get your kids before you have coffee and tea, uh, because the teachers are going crazy by now. (laughs) Bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, worship team.